everybody and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for August 2021, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with the legendary British singer-songwriter and guitarist Richard Thompson. Richard has written a new memoir entitled Bees Wing, Losing My Way and Finding My Voice, 1965 through 1975. Thompson is considered one of the top 20 guitarists of all time in the songwriting pantheon alongside Dylan, Paul Simon, and Randy Newman. And now in this long-awaited memoir, the British folk musician takes us back to the late 1960s, a period of gigantic change and creativity both for him and for the world at large. Thompson packed more than a lifetime of experiences into his late teens and 20s, and during the pivotal years of the early 70s, just as he was discovering his passion for music, he formed the band Fairport Convention with some schoolmates and helped establish the genre of British folk rock, and that led to a period of songwriting and massive tours where Thompson was on the road in the UK and the US, where he crossed paths with the likes of Fled Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, and many, many others. An honest, moving, and compelling memoir, Beeswing, vividly captures the life of a remarkable artist during a period of creative intensity in a world on the cusp of change. I began my interview with Richard Thompson by asking him about the experience of writing this book. I wondered if it was cathartic or sentimental or, or just simply a lot of really hard work. I think it's a mixture of all those things uh, that you mentioned, actually. Uh, certainly hard work. If you're a songwriter, you're not used to the, to the kind of... Uh, <clears throat> um, repetitious discipline that, that you need to write a book you need to get in there every day for a couple of hours and, and really hammer away at it so that was a bit of a shock um as cathartic i think absolutely um maybe not that's not the reason you write it i don't think but but it can be um um a way of examining you know the things that you don't look at very often in the past and saying okay now i can put that to bed so, so it, it was good for that and um yeah, it was a very enjoyable process, actually, to, uh, to, to write about it. You know, the hardest thing was probably putting stuff into a chronology, um, putting it into a timeline, um, because a lot of that stuff is a bit vague, it's a bit lost. So I had to do a lot of research to um, to really, you know, pin down when things happened. That was the hardest thing. Did you keep diaries or, or journals? Have you done that through your life? Uh, alas, no. I'm, I'm slapped myself on the wrist uh, for not doing that. Uh, that would have been uh, <laughs> a fabulous shortcut um, to have. Um, yeah, no, I had to go to um, you know, there's websites that claim they have every you know Fairport Convention show that ever happened, which they don't. So that's another problem, you know. So you have to fill in some of the gaps there. So you know that was the hardest. 
thought Gee, process. You, you're saying things are wrong on the internet? You must be joking. <laughs> <laughs> just a few, just a few things. <laughs> just, just a few things. Mm. Uh, well, I, I'm so, it, it's just d- delightful to read about your early days as a kid and, and listening um, to records and that were in your household and you had a, a, a sister who sounds really cool. And I, I, my, my father worked at a, uh, a Mon Pa record store. His brother-in-law owned one in, in uh, Detroit and, I was just five or six when I was suddenly discovering, you know, Charles Mingus and, and Dave Brubeck and West Side Story. And I had, uh, an older sister who had, uh, you know, Bob Dylan bringing it all back home around the house. And here I am, you know, 50 oh. years later. I just, I didn't, it was one of these things like I, I'm, I'm just being pulled in that direction. I really just mm. feel like I have no choice but to, to do music for a living and for joy. Was, was it like that for you when you first listened to music as a kid? I think it really was. Uh, the music that seemed to grab me the most was rock and roll. I mean, that, that seemed to be the music, certainly for my sister's generation. Um, she was five years older than me. And then, um, but I loved it as well. I, I love the excitement of it and, and the, the kind of the message for, you know, that the teens was also get, getting through to me. Um, but everything else was in there as well, if not necessarily on the front burner, certainly on the back burner. Um, so my parents' music, um, you know, my dad's jazz records, uh, you know, Django, Reinhardt, Les Paul, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I, I kind of soaked in um, w- without thinking it was particularly relevant to, to, to what I, I, I wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, by the time we get to be uh, 18 or something, um, I have absorbed all, all this wide range of music. Plus, Growing up in London, uh, you could see a lot of, of great live music. You could certainly see some, some great, um, you know, blues bands, R&B bands, you know, like The Who were around, uh, Yardbirds, Rolling Stones, you know. Um, um, and then, um, you know, yeah, you, could, you could see great classical music. You could, you could see great jazz, um, just about anything. Uh, folk clubs, you know, you could see Bert Yanch, Davy Graham, uh, Martin Carthy, Shelley Collins in the, in the folk clubs. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it, it, without really realizing it, I, I think uh, I really grew up in, in a kind of epicenter of, of, of culture there. And, and then, um, you know, by, by the time I'm 18, suddenly I, I'm, I'm sharing a bill with some of these people. You know, I'm sharing a bill with the Pink Floyd and, and uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown and and mm. and, and, and the small faces and, and, and heaven knows who else. Mm. Fascinating to read that you were friends at a, at a young age with Hugh Cornwell, former uh, lead vocalist of the Stranglers. T- tell me about your friendship with Hugh. Yeah, I, I knew Hugh before before he strangled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we were great friends at school. Um, shared a great lo- love of music, and uh, I think when we were like fourteen, uh, we, you know, Hugh said, "Oh, I, I really want to learn an instrument. You know, what can I play?" So, so I said, "Well, you know, I'll teach you the bass, and then we, we, you can be in the band." So we, we had a kind of power trio going um, with another kid from uh, the same school and drums. Uh, yeah, and, and then when I left school um, at 18 years old, I didn't see Hugh again. I, uh, we, we really uh, went off in whole different directions. Mm-hmm. And I met him at a, at a festival in uh, Spain um, probably 40 years later. And, um, you know, it was great to see him. And uh, we pretty much con- you know, picked up the conversation where we'd left it in 1967. And uh, and we've been in such ever since. Oh, I'm so oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Mm. Yeah, how did the the story of how Fairport 
convention came together and how quickly that, you know, you played your first gig. And I just love how you write about the, the songs that you played. Um, seven and Seven is by Love, Howlin' Wolf's Killin' Floor, and Turn, Turn, Turn by The Birds. Wow, that's a that's a cool set list, my friend. How, how <laughs> did this band come together, and uh, how how did you? Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at that's like three worlds that you pulled together, and, and much more w- with your group. How did how did it all start? Uh, I think we were always a band that was interested in lyrics, and we were interested in roots music. So. Um, when uh i think i think when when people like the birds you know and the loving spoonful and dylan you know started to play um you know what really became you know folk rock started to play intelligent lyrics in popular music um arias really pricked up and and we 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 wanted to do the same things so we we were very influenced by uh you know the west coast bands uh, you know the birds and love particularly um and, and we love the singer-songwriters, so we like to f- cover songs by Phil Oaks and um, Joni Mitchell. Uh, we got hold of her demos before she recorded her first album. Um, mm-hmm. we, 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 we were the first people to get the basement tapes, uh, D- Dylan's basement tapes. Wow. Um, and uh, so, so that was our love. And um, and I think that really distinguishes from other people around the the, uh, the 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 London psychedelic scene. Anyway, um, that there weren't other bands really doing that kind of thing. Bands were much more into uh, you know long jams and, and kind of psychedelic. Uh, if you excuse the expression, freakouts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at that time. How did you get a record contract so quickly? It sounds like Joe Boyd, um, who you worked with at that time, was a really pivotal figure. Could you tell us a little bit about Joe for those who may not know who he is? Yeah, um, Joe uh, was one of those people uh, with really good ears, um, and he also always seemed to be in the in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, uh, when he was at college, when when he was at Harvard, uh, he he booked uh, Lonnie Johnson. You know, um, who who is at that point washing dishes. You know, pivotal. You know, wonderful guitar player from the nineteen twenties and thirties. Um, yeah, I think he booked like Mississippi John Hurt. You, you know, he he found these people in the South and and persuaded them to jump on a train and and come come up and and play a, a gig at a folk club. You know. Uh, he was a stage manager at, um, at Newport Folk uh, Newport Folk Festival when when Dylan went electric. <laughs> uh, he was um, Electra's man in London uh, in, in the sort of mid sixties, and he uh, he recorded the Incredible String Band. He he recorded the first couple of uh, Pink Floyd records. Um, you know, he, he wanted Electra to sign the Move and to sign Pink Floyd, and they said, "No, we're not really interested." Sorry. <laughs> so then Joe uh, struck out uh, independently. Um, yeah, he, you know, he also signed, he also recorded um, 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 uh, people like the Purple Gang, um, um, uh, Chris McGregor, um, Duda Bakwana, a whole bunch of interesting what became really world music. Uh, John Martin's in there as well. Um, so. Uh, I think we'd only been playing a couple of months when uh, Joe spotted us and, and said, uh, you know, we should make a record, um, which was incredibly quick. And I, and I suppose um, we didn't think too much about that, but uh, uh, we were very lucky, I think, think to, to come out at that time. Um, I think it was one of those times when there was tons of live work. You could work seven nights a week if you wanted to. And, um, there were lots of bands. There was a whole 
movement, this whole psychedelic movement thing, um, which we rode in on, on the crest of, what we weren't necessarily a psychedelic band ourselves. Um, and the record labels were, were, were falling over each other uh, to, to sign bands because they didn't really understand what was going on. So they, they just tried to sign everything, really, basically. So we were lucky that Joe found us first and we fell in with someone who's very like-minded. Mm. You write about your your first experiences on on the first couple tours here in the U.S. and there were some oh terrific evenings and some wow that didn't quite go so well and some of these were the, these the the way Fairport Convention was paired with with other really wonderful acts but I mean talk about a mismatch you know working being on the same bill with uh, I mean the legendary vocalist Donny Hathaway I think this was what in, in England where you were uh, paired with uh, Martha Hoople uh, and that that didn't go also well either. I, I, Obviously, there's just not a ton of control when you're um, an up-and-coming band and you, your your career is in the hands of other people. What, what were some of the, the best experiences with Fairport Convention in the U.S.? And uh, were, was there one or two you could mention that are like, oh, my God, how did we ever live through that evening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a few of those. Um, I mean, great bills. Uh we, we did a, quite a lot of co-bills with traffic. Um, who, who, who were I? I yeah. just there the, and that's a that's a just a perfect pairing uh, if you ask me for fair oh, mention. I mean, th- I still I I play their music still all the time, and it just sounds like it's recorded yesterday. I mean, mm. it's, it's, it's the timelessness of it, and they just seemed like really nice guys too, were they? Uh, the, the, yeah, the, the, they were absolutely really nice guys. I, I I did quite a lot of sessions and stuff with with Stevie Winwood, um, who's uh some kind of genius, uh, really, uh, musically. I mean, plays everything, sings great, you know, uh, sounds authentic as a singer, which I think is amazing. Um, uh, uh, other good bills. I mean, we, we did cause with, bills with Jethro Tull, um, which I think was also fairly compatible. Um, uh, and some bizarre ones, you know, um, lots of bizarre ones. Uh, uh, I mean, a little later in the seventies, but when I was working with my wife, Linda, uh, we opened acoustically for Hawkwind, which was a, a, an extremely strange bill where um, this was in the Paradiso Club in um, Amsterdam. And uh, it wasn't that the audience was hostile, that they just didn't notice that we were on, um, you know, or what we did our 45 minutes, whatever it was, to, to absolutely nothing. I mean, no applause, n- nobody threw anything, nobody booed. No one no one noticed we were on stage. And, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the Hawkwind crowd. I mean, what what can you say? You know. So um, yeah, I, I think in every band's um, history that there's uh, some real mismatches and uh, and a few good ones. You know, <laughs> that's what happens. You, you write about, uh, and I don't don't remember this place in Detroit, uh, a place called the Poison Apple. I think was this on your second U.S. tour with Fairport Convention? And yeah, it was uh, one of those uh, gigs that uh, didn't work out all that well. Apparently, where yeah. fewer and fewer people were showing up night after night. Yeah, uh, that, that was actually after I left Fairport. That was with Ian Matthews. Oh, um, sorry, yes, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, well, we were an acoustic trio, and it was. Uh, uh, it was difficult, I, I think, uh, to, to find the right audience for that particular lineup. But um, I, I think if we'd been a band or something, we, we could have at least, you know, turned it up and and um, and uh, powered our way through through shows. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, the, the, on, on that tour, we, we were on, on on a bill with Donny Hathaway, which is a total mismatch. Um, 
And uh, that was a kind of a disastrous tour, as, as I mentioned in the book. Um, not all good memories there. Yeah, yeah. How long did you? How long were you with Fairport Convention before you decided to start recording solo material? Was when did it come to you that you wanted to strike out on your own, Richard? Well, I, th- I think I was with Fairport for about five years, yeah. um, and, and I think you know I'd been in bands um, since I was twelve or something, and I, I thought, well. You know, I'm just burnt out. Uh, I, I, I have to do something else for a while. So um, I thought, well, I'll, I'll I'll write some more songs and I'll, I'll do a solo record and see how that works out. So, so I did one solo record and then um, I got into a duo with my, my then wife, Linda, and we, we did that for 10 years, which was great. I think we did some really good records and, and some some good, good uh, shows as well in that period. Your book covers uh, your life up through the 60s, up through the 70s. And boy, I, I, you, it could have lasted for another 300 pages, but it, it, it ends there. Um, any thoughts on doing uh, Richard Thompson Bees Wing Part 2 to bring us up to the present a little more? <laughs> Parts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, yeah, 7, exactly. 8. Exactly, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I wanted to stop in, in 75 because uh, 76, I really didn't work much. I, I really came off the road. Um, I opened an antique shop. I mean, I did a whole other thing for a while uh, because I couldn't really understand um, the, the direction of, of music at that point. Um, the music business seemed um, strange and inhospitable in many ways. Um, and it wasn't until punk that I thought, okay, now there's some energy back into the, into the music. I understand what's happening. So, um, yeah, I didn't want to write about 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. You know, 81 would be the place to pick it up again, really. Um, so maybe if there's a volume two, then, you know, 81 to 90 or something mm. might, might be entertaining. We'll see if I can pull enough stories together. Oh, I'd love to love to read that. It's fascinating too to for to read about how you could perhaps have been a member of every, oh goodness the Animals, Linda Ronstadt's band, the Eagles. Uh, who else? Maybe Traffic. Although you you claim not to remember that, but other people tell you that you were approached perhaps to be a member of the group. Um, why oh. didn't any of those happen? Why did you say no to some of those opportunities? I think because, uh, you know, I wanted the freedom of being, you know, a solo artist or, or, or a duo artist at that time. Yeah. Um, and I also felt I was on a mission. I mean, I, I've always felt I'm on a mission, a musical mission, um, to play this, this style of music that, that I've developed really, which is somewhere between, you know, uh, a strong British traditional influence. So, uh, in, you know, the music of England, Ireland, Scotland, um, and rock music on the other side. Um, and, uh, you know, I love to write songs that, that, that really reflect that, that, that history. Um, and, uh, and I'm still exploring that, that area of music and, uh, and, and I still don't want to be in a band, <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I, I, I would have died in the Eagles or something. I, I mean, I, I would have just, um, I, I, that, that would not have been a good fit really for me. Um, so, um, it's a good job I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. 
do you mind me asking you about uh, just a, a couple? There's so many stories, so many people who you were friends with, who you performed with, and I, I, my mouth, my jaws just open when I read about Vivian Stanchel. You knew Vivian Stanchel of the Bonzo Dog Band, and he used to jump up on stage and, and perform with you and kind of took over the gig. And like, oh, my God, what was mm-hmm. Vivian Stanchel like? What a genius. What a mad, beautiful genius. He was an absolute genius uh, and, and mad and beautiful, all, all the things you say. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for people who don't know Vivian, he was in a, ba- a band called the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, who started out uh, being uh, – a sort of a 1920s, you know, pastiche, uh, sort of white jazz, you know, dance band, um, but, but, but very funny with it. And the humor kind of, you know, got larger and larger as, as the music got smaller. And then they branched out in, into many different styles of music. Um, and Vivian was, you know, the lead singer, um, also, um, you know, a, a very funny monologuist uh, and narrator and uh, humorist generally. Um, uh, just, it, it was a wonderful human being. I mean, a really fine man, you know, you know very sensitive. Uh, the, the drink got the better of him in the end, I think, um, sadly. Uh, but, um, you know, a, a lovely person, lots of fun to be around, and um, just someone with a very good heart. And you don't meet too many people like that in life. Mm. Another extraordinary person who you were friends with and, and recorded with, again, equally legendary, Nick Drake. Mm, Nick Drake. Well, um, it's taken a long time for people to, you know, to find Nick, uh, in some cases to stumble across him, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I know, I know a lot of musicians who are, are so uh, influenced by Nick, um, and I think it's finally reached a wider audience. And I think uh, there was a, a, a car commercial that they use Nick's music and, and that helped to uh, spread the word. But mostly it's just been a word of mouth thing. I think um, people say, have you heard this? Have you heard this? This guy's incredible. Um, in Nick's lifetime, he probably sold what 2000 records tops, you know, really, um, you know, he didn't perform very much. Um, he, was, he was very quiet, very reclusive. Um, would he do like six gigs in his life or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very few. So he wasn't uh, his own best publicist in that sense. Um, but I think he had a sense of his own worth. Um, and he was frustrated that he he wasn't more popular, but then he, he really didn't help himself. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I really recommend his music to anyone who hasn't heard it. Uh, just an extraordinary mixture of, um, you know, a, a, a great acoustic guitar player, um, Wonderful singer, a, a bit jazzy, a bit folky, uh, and a great songwriter. Um, very intelligent songwriter. Um, at, at the time, he kind of took up music full time. He, he was an English literature um, um, undergraduate at, uh, at Cambridge University. So, so he's a smart guy, um, and his lyrics are very smart and, and very layered and dense. And um, uh, well, once you've heard Nick, I think I think you just fall in love with the records, and the records are really well recorded, so they sound like they, they could have been recorded yesterday. Um, they, they just have that real timeless quality. Uh, what else can I say? Mm, uh, that's 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 a lot. Well, just one more artist, and again, I've been playing this man's music for so long, and he is still he's even lesser known here in the U.S. than Nick Drake, and that's John Martin. Who um, mm. I just adore and revere, and um, sound like a, in a lot of ways a real out of control person in in his personal life. But God, his music just 
it, I just, well, I put a John Martin song on and I just have the box of Kleenex next to me because I'm going to start sobbing <laughs> after about two minutes. His music moves me that much like yours does, Richard. There's just something about artists like you and Nick and, and John Martin that, that I don't know, you've got like this key to our, our hearts. When, when did you, <laughs> you recall first meeting John Martin and how, how much did you work with him? Um, you know, I worked with John a bit. I mean, uh, shared a lot of bills with John. Um, but we were friends and neighbors for a while. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd go around his house and we'd sit and jam and listen to records and stuff, you know. Oh, um, yeah, I, I think he was, he was, um, you know, he was this contradiction. I think, I think of John Lennon as kind of the same, you know, he's a mixture of, of this really sweet person. Uh, this kind of Glaswegian thug at the same time, you know, and who who was going to win that battle? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in the end, yeah, the, the kind of the Glaswegian, you, you know, drunk guy won. And and uh, but there was always the sweetness about him. And uh, you know, you know, my my regret is is that uh, the last probably ten years of his life, I, I, I didn't see him. I, I just didn't run into him. He was living in Ireland. Um, I, 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 you know, I I I came across him rarely at uh, festivals, really. Um, but um, you know, I, I really didn't see that much of him uh, t- towards the end of his life. Uh, um, so I, I think uh, again, a kind of a sad figure um, as he grew older. But uh, a wonderful, inspired musician, great guitar player, great singer, uh, great songwriter. Before we let you run, Richard, just a couple more real quick questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you look back on your life writing this book. Any any particular moment, album, song, concert that you are most proud of, or are there a couple? And and any as you write wrote the book, any any regrets as you look back? Um, oh God, millions of regrets. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something about writing a memoir. Yeah, you think, oh, oh my God, if I could do it all again, uh, that would be that would be so good. Um, <laughs> but but you can't do that, uh, especially with things like relationships. You think, oh my God, what was I thinking? You know. Uh, what wasn't I thinking? Um, but yeah, great concerts. Um, Fairport's concert at, at the Royal Festival Hall, um, playing the Legion Leaf album uh, for the first time. Um, that was really, you know, a, a great moment, a watershed moment for us. Uh, um, and uh, you know, um, um, uh, um, yeah, yeah uh, great albums. Um, I think uh, the Unhalf Breaking Fairport album is a great album. I think. Uh, I want to see the bright lights is a, is a great album that I did with Linda uh, from that time period. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, you know, bits and pieces. It, it's funny, you know, um, you, you look back and you, you think of some things as, as being just great and wonderful and, and other things you think, well, I wish I hadn't done that. Or uh, I, if only I tweaked that a little bit more or something, you know, so uh, typical, uh, you know, musicians uh, backstory is, is uh, it, it, it's a mixture of things. And, uh, you know, after a, a bad gig, you shrug your shoulders and say, well, you know, next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the rest of 2021? And as we look uh, to next year, hold for you in terms of recording and, and getting back to performing. Sadly, a, a lot a lot of artists, and I think there's going to be more who are going, you know what? I, I don't know. I might record some more albums, but I don't think I really want to play much in the way of 
gigs anymore. I, I've done it. You know, now that I've had a year off, I, I kind of liked being off the road. What, what, what are your thoughts about uh, what's going to be next for Richard Thompson? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't wait to get back on the road, really. Uh, I'm absolutely uh, uh, frustrated, you know, to, to have been 16 months basically without any work. Um, I mean, financially, it's been tough. And uh, it's the thing I, lo- I love to do most uh, is, to, is to play to an audience. Um, it's been nice to have the virtual thing, um, to do a few, a, a, a few concerts that way. Uh, that's been a, a great way to keep in touch with um, the, 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 the fans, the audience, the listeners. Um, but actually, the live thing is just uh, wonderful. And um, I've, I've got some live shows coming up uh, outdoor in June. Uh, one in New Jersey, uh, maybe two in New Jersey, <laughs> mm. and uh, I've got some more live stuff uh, in in the UK in in August, and then I've got indoor stuff starting um, in sort of September, October, November, uh, and uh, fingers crossed on those. I, I don't know if they're socially distanced or if they're going to be jam packed. Uh, at this point, I think it's hard to tell, but. Um, uh, I have a new EP that came out last week on Bandcamp, um, Serpent's Tears, six-track EP. You're very welcome to download that, everybody. Thank you very much. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and uh, towards the end of the year, I hope to get back in the studio and, and record um, uh, with with my band for a release next year. Um, it's It's been a great year for writing, I must say that. So I, I've got lots of uh, songs uh, ready to go and uh, can't wait to record them. Oh, we can't wait to hear them, and we can't wait to have you back here <laughs> in Ann Arbor. We we love you here in Southeast Michigan, in Ann Arbor, and in Detroit. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Congratulations on Bees Wing. It is a, a compelling read, and I'm glad that you have gotten through the last 14 months. Okay, Richard, and uh, thank you so much for being with us. All right. Well, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And I, I, I'll I'll see you at the Ark or, or somewhere else uh, very soon. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for August 2021. Our interview was with Richard Thompson about his book, Bees Wing, Losing My Way and Finding My Voice, 1967 to 1975. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. I'm looking for a storm to blow